And he said, this dude stood up in the back and he goes, mother effer, I want my money back. (laughs) Welcome. You're listening to Paleo Cheese Podcast, episode five, a double feature with Unicorn City and The Visitor. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Chad Lutsky. And I'm Jeremiah Bannister. And you're listening to Paleo Cheese Podcast, the podcast that tosses film onto the Cheese Lounge to discuss, psychoanalyze, and sometimes even point and laugh at. Today, we got a, a double feature. Yeah, man. Uh, a couple of films that, um, you know, one in particular, probably not many people have seen. Actually, both of them, a lot of people may not have ever seen. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good, it's a good possibility, man. This this is true, man. Uh, Yeah. One's called The Visitor from 79. And the other one is Unicorn City from, was it 2012? And two completely different uh, genres, different styles. And uh, they're not five stars. (laughs) Yeah, they're not five stars. Just so you you know that, that, uh, you know, we don't give everything a, a four point. Eight two or whatever you gave it last time. Four point yeah, four point eight two seven, I think yeah. is what it was. Yeah, something like that. Uh, right. I got pretty deep with the decimal. All right, so um, yeah, let's just start with our our usual discussion: what we've been watching, what we've been reading, mm-hmm. um, anything in particular other than books on symbols and Dante. <laughs> books on symbols <laughs> and Dante. Yes. Well, you know, um, I've been reading this. I've been going through the whole Lynch on Lynch book. Mm-hmm. And uh, edited by Chris Rodley. I've been going through that bit by bit where talk, he talks about different movies that he'd done or uh, portions of his life. And it was really cool reading about his his household and his, his upbringing and then to read about his love for painting and art. But I, I read and I finished not too long ago and I, I need to read it again. It's one of these books that you, you read through. And it's kind of mind-blowing, actually. Uh, it's called Lord of the World by Robert Hugh Benson. Let me see if I can get this on the camera. Anyway, yeah, Robert Robert Hugh Benson. Uh, I believe he was a Monsignor, actually. I was going through, looking it up. It says that uh, Wikipedia, Lord of the World is a 1907 dystopian science fiction novel by Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson that centers on the reign of the Antichrist and the end of the world, it's been called prophetic by a number of people, including the current Pope Francis, as well as the Pope prior to him, Benedict XVI. It's a lot different than than a lot of the modern stories that involve Antichrist. You know, wh- whether they be from a perspective that's not necessarily trying to be true to form of the Bible, or people who are trying but you're are kind of taking it from a dispensational uh, perspective, like uh, Left Behind series or. The what was the thief in the night, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with the charts. They I think I think on the third or fourth uh, episode of that, the the uh, part four, there was a ten minute long sequence of a guy with a chalkboard talking, you know, uh, about showing about the the timeline <laughs> of everything for the doctrine. And so it's not it, it's not that. And it, it's amazing though because the it's the way that it, it talks about the way that people were. Uh, brought into his world and how it became a, a religion, in fact, uh, a political religion. And it became something to be enforced. They, the way they changed uh, even calendars and holy days, and they, they mimicked 
popular uh, religious custom and tradition. It's a fascinating book. And the way it ends, I don't want to give too much away about what it was and why, because people can speculate as to why it would end that way. So I don't want to say too much about it. But it was the kind of thing that when it was over, you get so pumped about it. And then this happens and, and you're like, man, I got to. I got to read this again. <laughs> I actually have to go through this, this to, to understand this again. And there's a really powerful scene in there about euthanasia um, where there, there's a girl who uh, euthanizes herself. And the, the way that euthanasia is kind of brought in and the way that uh, people talk about life and death in this new world. And she goes through it. And it, it, I rarely ever cry when reading a book. I mean, that's a rare thing for me. I don't, I haven't had that very often, right. but man, I was, I was just, I cried and it was, just, it was just a powerful thing because of the way that it built up and the way that it was experienced and the way that she reacted once the process began. And it was just, it was so, it was gripping. It's like Paddleton, to be honest. Yeah. That moment. Right. Right. That moment and the thoughts going through, but she was alone. And so for people who don't know what we mean by Paddleton, you got to go back and listen. It's episode two. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's what I've been. I've been reading that. I've been reading the whole Lynch on Lynch thing, which is totally awesome. Been reading that James Monaco, How to Read a Film. Uh, I've been reading that. So I've been reading a whole bunch of stuff, man. But what, what have you been reading, Chad? Um, well, you know, when we had Josh Mallerman on uh, last week, he offered me uh, a PDF of Mallory, which I... Uh, kind of felt like an a-hole for kind of turning it down because of possible small print. Because the last time I tried to read a PDF on my Kindle, um, it was, man, it was, I, I didn't do it. I gave up. So I uh, crawled back to Josh and, and I was like, dude, you know, yeah, can you hook me up? So he sent me a set of my Kindle. I yeah. was wondering about that, man. And people, yeah. they need to go back because that, that, that's a moment in time where my eyeballs like popped out of my head. I don't know if people remember that whole Pee Wee's big adventure where he's talking to the large Marge, large Marge. And she's like in her face, look like this. And it's that claymation face where eyeballs go popping out. That's what my eyes were like, man. When you were like, I don't know, you know, uh, PDF, I'm not sure, uh, Mr. Mallerman. I don't, yeah, don't yeah. need to listen. Don't need to read that. I'm like thinking, are you kidding? Yeah. I was like, dude, hook me up. I'll read that. I, I, I kind of felt like a jerk, but uh, and, and I'm, <laughs> but, but Josh is such yeah. a nice guy. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. sure that he didn't, uh, you know, he seemed to understand that. Um, and I don't, I won't read a book at my computer. I, my day job, I, I work at my computer all day and then I'm a writer. So I'll write at my computer and do all my marketing at my computer and everything. The last thing I want to do is, is read a book at the computer, mm-hmm. staring at the same screen. So, uh, but I remembered my, um, I have a paper white Kindle, which are great, especially if you're in bed reading and your wife doesn't want a light on, or if you're outside reading and you don't have to worry about glare and stuff. They're really good if you're just going to read a book, but not so much for PDFs. And I remember my wife has a Kindle Fire um, that has a much larger screen and you can mess with the font more and, and the font size and stuff. You can mess with the font size in paper white, but not necessarily with a PDF. So it's just a lot trickier um, and not a matter of just like flipping a page. I have such a hard time with that, man. Electronic uh, reading? Electronic reading, man. Like I, I love, I know it sounds weird, but I, I, I'm confident that our listeners and that they're going to know what we're talking about. I love the smell 
of books. Oh, dude, yes. I just I get my my face right in there, man. It's I, the first I thing do. I do when I get when, yes. I, when I order books in the mail. Very first thing I do. Yes, I love, I love that. So many different books have different smells, mm-hmm. and you can they don't all smell the same. There's different types of papers that are used, so I can I can read a book and smell it, and um, like maybe it's a book that I read, you know, 25 years ago. And I can pick up that smell and it takes me back into some of the, you know, even if it's a different book and it's kind of like the same, you know, publisher, the same era or something, I can smell it and remind me of mm-hmm. a book. But yeah, I love that they don't all, they all smell good and they all smell like, you know, paper, but they don't all smell the same. And I like the feel like there, and there are some books, I especially there's, there's a book called um, Secret Formulas of the wizard of ads. He also wrote a book called the wizard of ads. That was his first book. Mm -hmm. And I've mentioned it before. It's a, it's a completely brilliant book, but in in there, uh, the, the paper itself, like, I I wish I knew what kind of stock it was because it's got the, I've seen this with diaries. Okay. Where it's got kind of the, the edges that are not, they're not flush with each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the binding. So like, it's kind of almost as if they were torn yeah i can't remember what that's called but i know yeah, what you're the style yeah. of that and i i love the feel of it i love it as i'm turning the the page i love it kind of when you you kind of flutter it like that you know i i just mm-hmm. just something about it and i love to be honest you know, i know a lot of people that they love hardcovers you know and that may also be one of those things that if people are really into hardcovers and i know maybe i'm talking out of my rear end on this but i would wonder i'd love to to find out information about this, do a study or something and ask people, the, the people who are really comfortable reading with electronic devices, were they preferable to hardcover or softcover or were they indifferent? Because I, I'm preferable, curiously enough, to softcover. Like, I like softcover books. I mm. I don't have a lot of hardcover books. I know people who do, and that's the main way they like it. They're, I mean, they're they're obviously more, they're special. You know, they, they the longevity yeah. of them, uh, and everything else, but I like being able to just walk around and have that where you can bend it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like it creased. I don't like that, you know, but I like being yeah. able to bend. I like being able to, and if I have to being able to put it in my pocket, like a novella, you know, my back pocket, I'm walking around, I'm outside. I'm old school like that, man. Dennis, the menace type stuff. You know, I, I don't, I don't have the slingshot. I've got the book instead. <laughs> I've got a novella in place of a slingshot. I like hardcovers. Uh, on the shelf. And I, if usually if I'm buying a book and the hardcover isn't expensive, it's affordable or used, I usually get that. But I, but when it comes to actually read them, reading them, I used to prefer hardcovers, but these days I think that I prefer the paperbacks. Um, they're just easier to hold. They're, they're less, cause I, uh, usually I read, when I read, I read in bed. Um, but I don't, I don't mind reading with a Kindle, but I do, it's not something that I, I don't spend, uh, I don't buy books usually on my Kindle. It's usually stuff that I'm either, um, you know, that, that are sent to me or, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, so I just started Mallory today. Really excited about it. I uh, love Josh's stuff. Uh, I haven't read, there's many of his books I haven't read. Um, but I've read a couple short stories of his. We're in, a, we're in a, actually in a couple anthologies together and, and I read, uh, some of those short stories and stuff, which I have a, a bad habit of not reading for whatever reason. I don't know if I'm alone in this or what, but I, I, I have a bad habit of not 
normally reading the anthologies that I'm in. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's because I've got all these other books ahead in my TBR pile that I want to get to. And I don't know. Speaking of uh, of books you're in and reading books and things like that, I know, you know, we talked about this before the show and you warned me, but I'm going to put it out there, man. If there are people who are listening or watching this show and they are writing books, you know, short books, long books, doesn't matter. And you are you are in, you enjoy the reviews that we do of movies. We we really delve into movies more than books. We talk about the books that we're reading, you know, and we say a little bit about it. But we don't we haven't done a deep dive into a book. We haven't collectively read a book together. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, although that might be kind of a cool thing, the Paleo Cheese Book Club or something, um, or Movie Club. But if if you're writing a book, if you're an author. Uh, poet, if you write fiction, whatever you're writing, doesn't matter. And you say, hey, look, uh, I would like it if you at least give it a shot. You know, I can't promise that, speaking for myself, I can't promise that I could read that very quickly. I've got a lot on my plate, too. But, you know, I sat there and I was telling Chet, I said, I, over the years, a, a real blind spot for me and a real, it's a super bummer, is that I have this this majestic, this totally epic library. And yet, I have a very limited amount of fiction books and a lot of it. And almost all of mine, I, I used to always say that my favorite, my, uh, my best friends are dead people, you know, that I really enjoy the democracy of the dead. I, I love reading books by people who stopped breathing a long time ago, you know? So I read these classic, classic books and stuff, Dante and Milton and Shakespeare and Homer and, you know, all that stuff. I love that. Okay. So I love, I love poetry. I love myth. Um, but I, I sat there and I said, man, I really need, I really need to read things that are more contemporary and get to know people who are writing uh, contemporarily. Okay. And so make sure you can email us. And that's also applies for people who, who wish to us to talk about different movies or any questions and comments you may have. Uh, you can go ahead and email us. It's really easy at paleo at gmail.com. I just had to put that out there, Chad. I had to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then they can send. And then they can send you the books. Yeah, they can send me the books. But yeah, I'll be bombarded. Yeah, I'll 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 complain because I have some. I'll be like, look, guys, it's it's getting real rough down here. Or if you're uh, if you happen to be a uh, a filmmaker like indie, I'm sure, and and you're wanting to get any of your stuff reviewed, um, you know, you could send the stuff our way too, yeah. but. Be prepared for, you know, we're, we don't go out of our way to try to be cruel. We understand that uh, there is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears behind, uh, you know, doing anything creatively. And so we don't want to deliberately poke fun. But, you know, if your movie is uh, an indie film and, and is subpar, it might it might get thrown on the Chase Lounge and, and yeah. pointed at and laughed. And, and yeah. if you get thick skin and you can handle it, then go ahead. And uh, yeah. I, I say that because 20 years ago, I had a, a magazine that I had started and uh, with a friend of mine, Joe Dewey, uh, it got big and I, I got a lot of bands and record companies sending me stuff for review. But I had uh, some movie companies sending me stuff, including Troma, which I was a huge fan of at the time. And I had done an, an interview with Lloyd Kaufman, the co-creator of Troma, and uh, who, who I'd love to get on here and talk with us because I think that he would be uh, hilarious and, and uh, good to chat with. But anyway, 
uh, Troma would send me promotional items and uh, their films for review. So, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there, you know, since we're a, a kind of a film. But I love diving into book territory, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of my peers, a lot of my friends are readers and writers. And I know that if they listen to the podcast, <clears throat> and the, I'm sure when we do talk about books, um, they certainly uh, probably appreciate the those moments. So it's put my feet to the fire. In fact, Chad, yeah, you know, doing this show, man, it has because now you got all these writers, man. Like that's the main thing, you know. You even though we talk about movies, a lot of it, a lot of the people, you know, that, that are kind of in the the world of this are writers, people mm-hmm. writing books or people writing script or whatever. And and I I've done journalism. I've written a whole bunch of articles. I have some of my poetry published. But man, I've been working on this this book now, and I'm almost done. I've only got a couple chapters left, and I, I'm to the point with this thing where I, I'm surrounded by people, and they're all talking about books that they've done, and I'm like grinding my teeth, thinking, "Come on, man!" So I, it's it's putting my feet to the fire, and I've I've gone so far, man, as to is to seriously consider the whole uh, Mallerman approach to his early work that said he locked himself in the door in a, in a room. I think he had yeah. a bottle of liquor and <laughs> said, I'm going to finish this bad boy. And I, I forget how many, it was a 10,000 pages in a, or 10,000 10, words, 10,000 pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wrote 10,000 pages in a couple of days. He was really trashed. He was on something amazing. Um, but no, he wrote, it was like 10,000 words or something. There's a lot of a, a significant amount of material mm-hmm. in only a weekend, I think. And I thought, and I said, you know, I said, I, if I did 10,000, I'd be done. Yeah. He was, pro- it was probably more than that. It was probably more than 10,000. I could see him pulling that off without being locked in, you know, over a weekend. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought it was only two days. Like it was something short, whatever it's on his documentary, yeah, yeah. you know, but I yeah, thought yeah. about it and said, whatever it is. Right. So even, even for low ball and he's like, he's like, come on guys, 10,000, come on, you know, I do that in my sleep, but if, 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 if I was locked in a room for two days and I pumped out 10,000 words on this, bro, it would be, it would be sent off to an editor. And I, I had a, a friend of mine, uh, he's actually published a number of books, uh, and he, his are theological and stuff like that, philosophical, theological. Um, so they're not, they're, they're nonfiction, but he knows what my story is, what I'm working on. And he is going to get me in contact with a, a pretty decent publisher so i have two two decent publishers man that i've got i'm getting the emails i've already got an email for one of them to send direct to the editor the editorial staff there which is pretty amazing i bypassed some certain people uh a couple Mm -hmm. levels (laughs) and um and then this new one that just happened in the last couple days and so it's actually been a really cool thing to to be doing this on a bunch of levels not only that it's cool to be doing talking about movies and things like that but also to just on a professional you know, uh, a professional level to say that it's been really encouraging to to be seeing all the the books and all the the works that are done by people who are following what we're doing, and to to see, hear their stories and to learn more about them and checking out their pages or their podcasts. And mm-hmm. it's just been a really cool thing, really encouraging. So I want to thank everybody. Yeah, it, you know, you you brought that up the other day, and you were talking about how inspired you were getting. And I've been thinking about it ever since. And um, I, I haven't mentioned anything to you, but, you know, I don't know all of the avenues. I don't know, uh, you know, if somebody were to come to me, for example, and say, hey, I'm a romance writer. Where should I head to get published and stuff like that? 
I mean, I could point them kind of in sort of certain directions. Like my sister, for example, she does poetry. If she if, if she did horror poetry, then I'd be able to hook her up and, and, you know, be like, oh, this is, you know, you can submit here, submit here, sign up to this newsletter, get their notifications. They, they'll send you all kind of places that submit. But I'm not with that. That being said, um, I wish I knew as much about uh, like journalistic type and freelance type stuff, because I think that you are missing out. I think that you are needed in several different areas. Thank you. And, and that you just, uh, you are more than capable. I I think that's something that you should pursue. I think that it's a wasted talent. Thank not you. Using it. No, I, I, okay. I, I thank you for that. Actually, <laughs> like I mean it. And so, people listening, look, I'm I'm dead serious. I love I love writing. And if if people are interested to know and to read some of my writing to get a general idea for the style, for how I write, um, mm-hmm. and you know, because I'm a journalist, but I'm also a poet. Um, I like prose. I like speculative fiction. Um, in fact, that's what I got my award for in college when they published my work. I got the writing award for Olivet College. Um, and so. You know, there, there are these things, but I never I never pursued it beyond just simply, well, I, I have a blog or something. And so this has been this has been one of the benefits, man, of doing something like this is, you know, working with somebody like you who's gone and published some amazing stuff, uh, increasingly so, you know, talking the mere fact that you're talking about anthologies, that you're in a place, a privileged place that you can say, I don't know why, but I'm not reading sometimes. Maybe it's wrong, but other stories in anthologies that I'm <laughs> publishing, you know, I just sit there and I'm like, bravo, bro, you're doing good, you know? And so, <laughs> and uh, you can say something like that and it's true. And so, you know, if there are people listening right now, again, reach out to us. We we would love to, to connect with you. And if you're interested in uh, what we write, we don't talk about this very often, you know, um, Chad's written a bunch of stuff. And if you'd like to read some of the articles that have been published uh, on the internet or poems that I've written or anything like that, some of the prose that I've done, just uh, go ahead and email us again, paleocheese at gmail.com. And cheese is with a Z. That's, you got to remember yep. that. Yep. So, Chad, what have you been watching, man? Still Better Call Saul. We talked about that before. I think mm-hmm. uh, we're on season three or f- I think three. Still watching Kirby Enthusiasm on, on season four now. And this is the third time I've 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 done that and probably in a couple of years i'll probably be a fourth time i love that show <laughs> um and i'm still watching a lot of really bad horror movies like um <laughs> i just saw a really bad one called final exam you know what's weird is the beginning of that movie it's it was early 80s the beginning of that movie it starts out with it's like a college campus type thing you know a typical like slasher thing and these college kids are on campus and they're going to perform this prank, but you don't know it's a prank yet. The prank that they do would not go over too well these days. What they <laughs> did was, and, and yeah, when do you hear this? They, and you don't, again, you don't know that it's a prank yet. They plant members of their sorority houses or whatever they're called. Um, they plant them around campus, like on the campus grounds outside. And then they have a van pull up. And this is a lighthearted, you know, cheesy slasher. This isn't some like dark film. The van pulls up. Dudes get out with like uh, ski masks on and automatic weapons and start opening fire on everybody on campus. 
and the dudes that are planted fall <laughs> down and must have squibs or whatever, and, and their blood is squirting out of them, and then they lay there, and then the, the terrorist guys that jumped out of the van grab those that they shot and pull them in the van and take off, traumatizing everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. They're and, they're and going just, to they're going to therapy for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. and then um but a lot of people kind of laugh at it and go, Oh yeah, that was um, you know, recognize that van or whatever. That's the dudes from, you know, Pi Alpha, whatever. You know, and they're just doing this crazy thing. And I thought, man, first of all, you go to prison probably for the rest of your life, you pulled some kind of prank like that. If you even made it out alive. Yeah, and they just uh they got to where they were going and they took their ski masks off and they're all laughing about it and drinking beers and high fiving and yeah, that was just a that wasn't really <laughs> part of the movie. <laughs> it was just yeah, wow. to show that they were prank kids, but uh, that yeah, that kind of prank uh it, yeah, it wouldn't go over too well. Yeah, no, that would definitely not go over well. And yeah, everybody would be going to therapy, like tons and tons of people. It wasn't that great of a horror film though. No, man. No, it really, <laughs> really wasn't. But there's, dude, I'm, I'm going to tell yeah. you, this is weird. I've always been kind of like anti-nap. My my mom would force me to take naps when I was a kid uh, every day, you know, when I was young, when I was like five, six, seven, stuff like that. And um, I just had the hardest time doing that. And then as I got older, I just hated naps. And then a reader, a big fan of the stuff I've written, she offered to make me an affigan of the Kubrick shining carpet from the Overlook in exchange for the handful of books of mine that she didn't have yet, uh, signed copies of them. She already had like six books or something. And so I was like, are you serious? That's a, a great deal. I was going to say, yeah, dude, she's good. She knows how to barter. She's good. Right. Yeah. So she did, man. She she made this uh, afghan and sent it to me. We have to be able to see this bad boy. Should I pause it? Yeah, no, just go, go. Go. Yeah, we can edit this out, man. Just go get it. Right. It's going to be a magical edit. We're we're gonna we're we're letting everybody know right now. Okay, it's going to be a magical edit. A magical edit. A magical edit. A magical edit. And look, he's back. All right, with the magic of editing technology, <laughs> I went and got the app again. But before I show it, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, and if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or whatever, you can. Go to our uh, YouTube channel. Not all of our stuff is video, um, but sometimes we'll put it up. Um, but so she sends me this afghan, and I, and I send her the books. And uh, I start um, taking naps. But when I do that, I put on the worst horror movies, B movies, you know. I won't put anything on that I'm truly highly entertained by because then I can't take a nap. yeah. But there's in every slasher movie, there's always just people. There's just like half of the movie is different scenes of somebody creeping from one area to another area with 10 minutes of just, you know, looking around and stuff. And I always <laughs> start to doze. And um, yeah, so this is this is my uh, blanket wow. and my Afghan that that wow. Made. And uh yeah, it's the overlooked carpet. Right? Yes, dude, it is. With it's that got... crazy scene where that the 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 boy is playing with the the trucks or the little cars, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the man. Carpet, yes, yeah, the carpet. He's wearing. That's and, where he's uh... wearing the rocket, the moon. He's wearing the. Uh, yes. Yeah. Exactly. The conspiracy. Yeah. 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 It's uh, but so yeah, Jude Scott is her name, and she made that for me, and uh, I 
love it. And so it's, it's cursed with sleeping powder, I guess, because, but anyway, now I take these naps and now that's, you know, Italian horror movies. What I do though, is I, I, you know, I'll take them. It's like reading a book. Um, A lot of these movies I don't watch in one sitting, you know, it can take me three or four days to get through one of these movies just because I rewind and I'm interested in seeing the rest. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, um, you know, some people, you know, put on their uh, what are those noisemakers with crickets and thunderstorms and stuff like that. And I put on oh, yeah, a really, really bad movie where, <laughs> um, you know, and just start to uh, doze off. Yeah. Well, what's that? What's that place called? Man? Is it Brookstone? Is, it, or is Brookstone? Yeah, I think it's Brookstone or something like that. That's the, the place. It's in a lot of malls and they've got this kind of. You've always got cool stuff, man. And I, I, I had one of those things you put over your, your the face mask that you put on. And it's got that memory foam or whatever in it, and it was just so comfortable. And it had this little, this little speaker, man, on the ear, and you could just turn it on and you could listen to. There was frogs and there was uh, rivers and things like that. You know, you have to be careful with the river, man, and peeing your pants. But like, you know, the the deer whatever you know all different sounds that you could do i don't know if they had deer i don't even know that if that would be very awesome at all to hear deer you know but it was you know (laughs) i don't even know what that would sound like but it's uh it it was it was really cool and i can just imagine having one of those we have to have somebody figure out how to do this for you chad where you get the mask right and it's got Mm -hmm. on there it actually just has the audio that you can just tune in and it just plays it real close to your ear so you can just hear it gently and you know make it a little bit louder or quieter and just listen to the 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 sounds of flashers and <laughs> terrible dialogue yeah, it reminds yeah. me i i remember uh, you used to have an alarm clock that had an alarm on it of <laughs> birds chirping <laughs> yeah we we need to we need to share some of those we'll we'll figure out we'll figure out something cuz we have people don't some people don't know this man but we we used to make videos. We have we have real indie stuff, man. Like back old school where your camera, we were laughing about this yeah. just this week. Your camera, it was before editing software was, you know, uh, popularly available. Okay. It was very difficult. You had to go to a, a local TV station, you know, Access Vision or something to, to work on editing program stuff. And even that yeah. was like the old supercomputers from the sixties. Beep boop, beep boop. <laughs> it's all this, and yeah. now you just got it on your phone or on your on your computer, and you've got stuff way light years ahead of that. But but at the time when when we were doing this, you know, you were the you were the one directing it. You're kind of the brainchild of this, and your camera. It was hilarious because there was no you had to stop and start. Right. I mean, there was like you you had to try to make sure because so we'd watch these videos and sometimes we'd have to fast forward and only and, and try to time it just right. So that when you started recording, it didn't have any space between it and and it yeah. didn't cut over what was before. And only one time that I remember, did we ever lose anything? You know, there, there were gaps. Yeah. There were gaps sometimes little eats. They were always real short if there ever was any. But there, but yeah. the the there was only one time where it cut into the the video and it was it was unfortunate because it was it was a scene. special effect it was an amazing special scene effect, yeah yes a disappearance. So, yeah yeah a, dis- a disappearing act buying and it was it was perfect yeah. it was so perfect and but we have some of these and we'll have to we'll have to share some of that because yes that that alarm clock that was terrible that alarm clock yeah. was extremely <laughs> I thought annoying. it was cool I'd never seen one yeah. before 
Well, I mean, yeah, for the time, but going back watching it, I said, man, that would wake me up now. I'd be mad because <laughs> it was yeah. it was not very authentic sounding. And it was a loop of this bird noise. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it was yeah. I said, oh, goodness gracious. But I've, um, you know, back to the future here. I've been watching some stuff, too, actually, uh, you know, because of what we because we had to watch two videos this week for this. And because I, you know, I do other things, you know, this isn't full time. We do this right now for just fun. We love what we do. And um, so we have other things that we do with our lives. But this week, I, I kind of took a step back a little bit from what uh, I ordinarily would be watching because I was I watched three movies. We I won't mention one of them because we plan on doing a really cool episode of it in the near future and even having a guest, a special guest. And I want yep. yeah. And so just throw that out there as a little teaser. We'll leave it at that. But I watched, you know, of course, the the two movies that we're talking about today, The Visitor and uh, Unicorn City. But also I, I while I was working, I, I stumbled on this this video. It was it's a, a four part series that was published by Channel Four. And I don't know what Channel Four is. If that's, you know, something BBC. I don't know what, what, what was Channel Four. What was that anyway? It was a four-part documentary called Hidden Hands, A Different History of Modernism. It's a series. This is according to uh, Fulmar Television and Film uh, Limited. It's a series which re-evaluated some of the ideas about modern art. In part one, it talks about the role that the C- of the CIA in promoting the American abstract expressions, such as Jackson Pollock after the war, which was amazing, actually, because it has the people who are leading the charge on this and who were involved in it and how they were like, yes, we actually, we, we promoted modern art in part because um, it was individualistic and in, in a, in a bipolar world between communism and the West, right? So between Russia and America, uh, you have this kind of uh, Russia and the West dichotomy that Russia and communism as it was spreading was about um uniformity and they were really strict about art and art was uniform. I mean, that, that's where socialist realism comes from, which anytime you look at a, the old propaganda pictures with Stalin, Mao and all that, you're looking, you're looking at socialist realism. And, but so America said, well, look, we, we America and the West and Europe, they cooperated, uh, but said, how do we connect with artists in a way that even sometimes they're not being used overtly, but they're part of programs or that they're tied in. They called it a long leash. And these these museums and these art exhibits and it goes through all these different ones and talks. Some of them, they name some of the people who were involved as assets. Some of them, they don't because they're still alive. And they said, you know, we don't know if they would feel comfortable talking about it. And so they don't. But talking about promoting modern art and a lot of people would say, well, this is crazy you know, the surrealism and stuff, the expressionism, abstract expressionism. And they say, well, this isn't real art. But what they were doing is they were basically throwing it out there saying and, and putting their the, even the weight of government behind it to say uh, it was the alternative to the uniformitarianism of communism and saying that the, we promote individual expression and the individualism is supreme to us. And so that was what, which is interesting that in a propaganda campaign, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you say, well, yeah, kind of, I mean, you, you um, uh, but the part two, a clean white world showed it how an obsession with hygiene and cleanliness that pervaded the 
uh, is it Bauhaus and modernist architects had its roots in the filth and horrors of the First World War. Part three, Sleeping with the Enemy, reviews the uh, roles played by the great painters of France after their country was occupied in 1940. And number four, uh, is there anyone out there? It's an explanation of the extraordinary fascination the early modernists um, had with the paranormal and spiritualism. And it was it was done by Channel 4 in 1996. It's a, a fascinating documentary series. And it was blowing my mind because they're they're talking so casually about, you know, it now it's so far away from it by the time that they talked about it that they were like, oh, yes, you know, all the leaders, all the people on the board, you know, or the majority of the people on a board of this museum or this Institute for Art that was the biggest in the country at the time. Uh, yeah, they, they were they were working with the CIA. You know, we worked with them. And everything, and so they 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 don't want to take credit, and they said they wouldn't want to say that the CIA is to credit for abstract art and abstract abstract expressionism, but that um, it was involved in the in the promotion of it on a global scale, and it put its weight privately behind it as a mechanism in the effort to keep the world keep communism from spreading culturally uh, throughout the world, and so it's it's. Stunning, actually. <laughs> I well, remember. <clears throat> Between what we're both watching, uh, I'm dumbing down and you're getting smarter. <laughs> I, I have a feeling yeah. that would would help yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> would help instigate a nap for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> what you're watching, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it does sound interesting, though. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating, and it's you know it it, it kind of goes back even to the whole thing with. Uh, with Lynch, I'm still on it, man, where, you know, talking about surrealism and expressionism and all these all these artistic isms that are kind of infused throughout his his art. Right. Whether painting or whether mm-hmm. uh, the art of film and and the influences that were that were on him and others. And so just studying art theory, film theory, the history of cinema has led me down this road of, of studying this. And I, I just stumbled on this. I forget how it even happened, but I, I ended up stumbling on that documentary. And I thought, wow, I'm like, this is, this is absolutely fascinating to, to learn about that and to see, um, you know, cause I, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that even in the past would complain and say, well, how is that art? You know, <laughs> how, how is Warhol? How is this art, man? You know, and, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't get certain things. And I still, to this day, in fact, I thought a part of it was kind of funny. And we've said this before, you know, in reference to, to some of the avant-garde stuff uh, and comments in the comments section of the avant-garde videos on YouTube. But uh, the idea that, you know, people, most people don't take the time to actually look at art. They just, they kind of, it's like they glance at it and in glancing at it, they get a kind of first impression of it. And if they don't understand it, immediately if it doesn't just give them the message almost like television uh, oftentimes directly gives people the message right it doesn't leave much to fill in the blanks because it gives you the color and the scene and are there birds there and whereas books and painting leaves a lot more to the imagination theater right leaves a lot more to the imagination and so you know I, i before even with with media with movies and stuff i wouldn't think so deeply about it and that's actually a newer thing for me both with movies music art all of this we're talking within the last 10 years of of my life i'm 42 now so i mean that's 32 years of being a passive receptor of a lot of art and film and stuff and i was still i i think more competent than a lot of people 
but yet at the same time, not to sound too aristocratic or anything, but saying, yeah, I was, you know, I thought about these things more deeply than a lot of people, but it wasn't until within the last decade of my life that I've really even started to think about it. And more recently still to do it with art where I'm actually looking at it. And I, I don't anticipate seeing magical visions, looking into, you know, a blank canvas or something and going, yeah, the artist is, or a pair of sunglasses on the floor or something. I just, I don't, that might be a tough one for me, but you know, I'm, I'm becoming, I, I'm more, more open to the idea of, of really thinking through art and taking time. Yeah. yeah. What, what about, uh, what about LARP theory? <laughs> <laughs> LARP theory. Oh, we're going to get into it, man. <laughs> let's do it, man. All right, let's do this. All right, so the first film we're going to talk about is one called Unicorn City. It's uh, one that Jeremiah had already seen before. I had not, and he thought uh, he wanted to share it with me. So I watched it. <laughs> I watched it today, and uh, it's a uh, it's a film. It, it's a it's a it's a comedy. It's kind of a feel good movie for sure. Rom com a little bit. Yeah, and mm. uh, it, it, some role playing geeks take their tabletop gaming to the next level when one of them decides to start a LARPing campaign in order to prove to a potential employer that he has leadership skills. And there's some, uh, there's, yeah, there's a romance in there involved in there. It's directed by Brian Leffler and written by Brian as well as uh, Adrian Leffler. I don't know if that's his brother or, and yeah, they're Cameron brothers. Dayton. Yeah. And Cameron Dayton. And it stars uh, Uncle Rico. <laughs> yes. Okay. So when you first saw this movie and, and, or maybe even just when you watched it again, you watched it with your kids. Yeah. Within that first 10 minutes, um, do you recall what your initial reaction was? Maybe maybe you didn't have one. Um, yeah. Or maybe you can't remember. I, I, I certainly had. I certainly had a. An you idea. had an initial reaction? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, okay. Yeah. I, as a background, I watched this, I think, in 2012. And this was before. And I, I mentioned, actually, on the Paddleton episode, um, episode two of our podcast, I talked about my daughter and Samantha who died of brain cancer and how she was the, uh, she was the, the princess. She indefinitely of all time for, for a place called black rock medieval festival in Augusta, Michigan. And so, you know, I remember uh, going there. It was like 2000, I think 2015, I think is when we went uh, for the first time. So this watching this movie, is something that happened before ever becoming familiar with LARP culture. In fact, the only the only thing I really knew about anything to do with role play games was was actually you. I knew that you were into role play games, um, but I re- I grew up in a home where we weren't even allowed to watch like Smurfs and He Man. I had to give all my He Man toys away. Okay, you know, and I I was especially angry about that. <laughs> Because I had some super dope He-Man toys, man. It's just true. and But we weren't allowed to watch that stuff because of, you know, it was kind of the satanic scare stuff. Um, and th- that was going around at the time. And so the idea of Dungeons & Dragons was like, whoa, no way. Um, uh, Magic the Gathering, that was a little bit later, obviously. But still, whoa, no way. 
So I was never in the culture of that. Like I, I didn't have any, I didn't even have any friends until you that, that played anything like that. Um, and it wasn't until you, in fact, you may have been the guy that showed me this. There's a movie and I, we got to find this movie, man, the documentary about LARPing. Cause you, you showed it to me. And it, yeah. it was, there's a great scene in it. It's hilarious, man. Cause it's, they're super serious. And I've met, I've met a lot of LARPers since then, but when, my first time seeing it, man, we were just cracking up. Cause there's this scene where, you know, they've got these rules and they're pretty strict about it. And they're, they're just, uh, it, it was a, a wizard or something. And he was throwing something at an orc or whatever's going on. And, and he's just going to town and they're, they're saying out loud, uh, uh, 10 damage points, 10 damage points. And they're saying it super fast. Like, I don't, I, I can't say it that fast. And they're just, you know, they sound like auctioneers or something, you know, the blah, 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 blah. They're, they're doing that yes. with these points and, and supposedly keeping track in their head and they're arguing over, no, it, it was actually 30 times I did that. No, I think it was 27. And it, I mean, there's no way that this is real, but see that, that laughter right there, that, that is what in the first 10 minutes of this movie, the second time I watched it. It, this is what made me laugh. And I don't remember the first time if that's the case, but this time when I watched it within the first 10 minutes, personally, I knew why I liked it because the conversation and the debate over what is what's happening and, you know, a challenge to the guy setting the narrative, setting the story and saying, well, look, you know, uh, I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to. I'm going to, you know, use fire against you and I'm going to use the, my shield or whatever. And and the guy, Uncle Rico, he's the one setting the narrative. He he, uh, he changes very subtly, real quickly. It shows him he kind of adds a, a power, right, to the list. And then he goes, oh, that sounds really great. But you forgot my character has this power. And, it, and they're like, yeah, psionic. And they're like, oh, yeah, right, man. Like, how'd you do that? And he goes and he pulls it out like it's been there the whole time. And it mm -hmm. reminded me of South Park, the episode where uh, uh, where Cartman, you know, they're they're I think they're being ninjas or whatever. And I think it's the one where he walks. He's trying to walk naked. He says he's got it wearing cloak of invisibility. And he's walking naked across the stage or something. And but in that episode, they're they're fighting and he's you know they're like I've got this power and this one and they're fighting and dude's got like every power. And every time he's adding something else, and I also have this. <laughs> it's like, you know, so the the childishness of that, um, and the 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 way that that played itself out in the first ten minutes, I I was reminded very quickly as to why I found it charming. Yeah, I grew up playing uh, D and D uh, with neighbors, and. Um, we didn't LARP. We didn't do. Well, you know what? When I think about it, I mean, we it wasn't LARPing, I guess. I mean, when you're a kid and you're just playing like make believe, what are your whether you're, you know, cops and robbers or you're being, you know, something like that. I never consider that being LARPing. Not when you're young, but we did do some stuff where we had like trash can lids that were covered in like pillowcases and then wrapped with swing set chain you know, around them. And then we use tent poles as uh, spears and, you know, we would battle with these wooden clubs and things like that and makeshift swords. And, and, but it wasn't like a, there was no system like a, a, you know, hit points or anything like that. We'd just do little battle scenes and stuff. But um, yeah, I start. I think I started playing uh, D and D around when I was like nine and uh, it was really cool uh, when I was younger. And yeah, it was, 
it, that was kind of like the beginning of the kind of satanic panic thing. And then that movie Mazes and Monsters with Tom Hanks came out about the guy who got lost in the sewer and went crazy playing D and D. And um, so, but my parents, uh, they were never worried about that. Um, they were more worried about me listening to black Sabbath, I think than, than uh, playing D and D. But um, I, I took like a, maybe a 10 year hiatus from that until I ran into somebody at work that, that played. And this was, I, I don't think, I played any D&D from the age of like 14 until I was like 20, 24. And I played for a little while and then off and on, you know, but uh, never the LARPing thing. My son did that for a while. And it's something that I can appreciate for what they're doing, but I still can't help but laugh at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't don't think anything bad of them. It's just not for me, and and to me it is funny and comical, but bless them for doing it. You know, it, it's they could be doing worse. Yeah, they, they yeah, could be yeah. doing worse. But when I was watching the movie, I, I kind of thought it was going to be more about board games and uh, you know tabletop RPG stuff. They probably didn't have like the uh, rights to use the intellectual property of D anD D because it wasn't called D anD D. It was like called D of D, which stood for something else, I think, that the word that I heard them use, which is, I think, public domain and certainly didn't start with D&D. It was uh, Tolkien had used it and maybe wherever it came from before that, I don't know. But they had board games all around them. And I'm an avid board gamer. And I'm not talking about Monopoly and crap like that. I'm talking about uh, anybody who's an avid board gamer, they know what I'm talking about. Like games that when you look at, just when you set it up and look at it, it looks super intimidating and uh, almost gives you a headache, like real thinking man's games or thinking woman's games. Um, and so it was nice to see all that around there. But I, w- I will admit to um, within those first 10 minutes, already trying to point out everything that's wrong. Like there's a scene where the chick whips out um, a printout of uh, of her uh, boyfriend online that they're playing some uh, <laughs> MMORPG, some map <laughs> multiplayer RPG game, yeah. like World of Warcraft or, or yeah. EverQuest or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she pulls out this printout of her boyfriend. Yeah, and 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 the guy, and and, and it's a it's a it's a like a um, biped kind of. It's got like fawn goat legs or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got this huge sword. It's tonic. It's it's it's, it's a tannic storm blade. Yeah, yeah. Tannic storm blade. The, yeah. This huge sword <laughs> with a shield and what looks like plate mail. Um, the, particularly the shoulders, giant plate. And the guy looks at it, and th- this was the point where I it started. The movies really started to lose me as far as like the technicality. Like I'm thinking, okay, a huge gamer. Uh, wrote this and they're really into this and this is like a passion project for them but this is where i was like yeah maybe not because the guy she showed the print the printout of this character and the guy goes oh yeah he's a rogue and i'm like dude and i I geeked out in in my head when i'm watching this like first of all (laughs) rogues don't use shields they don't use plate mail no yeah (laughs) they don't use giant two-handers like that 
Oh, and uh, <laughs> so that that killed some of the fun for oh. me. And and I did kind of laugh at myself for for geeking out on that. But <laughs> within the first ten minutes, I realized that this was not really what I thought it was going to be. I thought that humor was maybe going to be a little bit drier. And it was very, very silly. Um, yeah, yeah. And I could tell I wasn't going to like it. And I, I, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I was like, how am I going to get through this? And I think I stopped. <laughs> I, 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 I stopped the movie, <sighs> and I sent you a message, yeah. and I said, because that was, I was like, I need to convince him. That, no. Let's not do this. <laughs> and dude, I didn't even interpret it that way because I remember I called yeah, you. Yeah. I called you and I was like, oh man, dude, I really like this is such a great movie. I really like it. And I'm and now thinking back, I'm like, I can only imagine you on the other end, you know, eyes just <laughs> being like, oh no. Like, yeah. Didn't he get the didn't he get the hint? Because <laughs> we ha- we haven't talked too much about yeah, yeah. my feelings about the movie. Yeah. But um, yeah, there were uh, characters right off the bat that really were that really bothered me. The uh, the chick making out with that guy, um, it was th- that was just it was too silly for me. And every time they showed that, I just kind of rolled my eyes, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is going to be one of those kinds of movies." There were some laugh out loud moments for me, though, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think my favorite character. I don't remember his name, but he he um, he kind of he was the older brother that owned the taco shop. Yes, that that brother that, that was one of my that was yeah. like my favorite character. Did you ever see? Um, man, I wish I, I I wish I had his name. I think I've got it down here. I should just know it. Have you ever seen the the show Alias? No, but I saw that he's in it. Yeah, he's in it. He's the he's the mastermind that comes up with all of the gadgetry that they have. So all oh, the guns, you know, this, this bubble gun will blow up, you know, and you chew it for 10 times or whatever. Ooh. You know, that, that he's the guy that comes up with all those things and you kind of have he has an endearing quality about him. And I thought I liked his character too. Um Yeah, he, he was he reminded me of like a a a bully Uncle Rico who couldn't but he had some other qualities too like he loved his taco shop, and when he would talk about it and talk about his brother not showing up, he would get like teary eyed. But yet yeah. he was this macho dude, and he yeah. walked right in the house with his like silk uh, tight shirt, blue and yellow tight shirt, and his silk like basketball uh, shorts, like strutting his stuff around. And he's and, really uh, short. He's really short. He he made me laugh, and uh, particularly when he gave that threateningly glare to the bigger guy and like turned his trophy to remind his, <laughs> to remind yeah. that guy I'm a badass don't you forget that I got this wrestling trophy or whatever it was yeah that I laughed the, character, the characters are bizarre and you know you, you've said a couple times you know you've used obviously you Shadowhawk John Grise if I'm pronouncing his last name properly Uncle Rico we we know him as Uncle Rico um, some of this has to do with the fact that the the brothers, you know, Brian and Adrian Leffler, that they they worked um, at least um, if I remember properly, I think it was Brian, at least Brian did. Um, he went to film school with Jared and Jerusha Hess that did Napoleon Dynamite. 
And he was the storyboard artist and script supervisor for Napoleon Dynamite. He also worked on Gentleman Broncos. And I like Gentleman Broncos, too. You know, so, I mean, it's kind of, to me, you know, and I I know when we, we haven't talked very much about this, but you did say, you know, I brought up Napoleon Dynamite. And you said you didn't think, you thought that the humor was too silly compared to Napoleon Dynamite, which is more subtle. And that's fair. You know, that's fair on that. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting. Again, this is uh, a, a guy who um, is from Utah, right? BYU, Brigham Young University, minored in film. I, I listened to an, uh, I read an interview where he was talking about it, and he was saying that he minored in film because he could get his hands on the equipment and not have to do most of the classes. And then he majored in illustration. And so he was really into art, uh, painting, and things like that, uh, and began working with Jared and Jerusha Hess pretty quickly. But it took him like a long time to make this, to write this out and stuff. And, you know, doing it a couple hours a day, he said he'd work, you know, from 1030 to one. And then he'd wake up in the morning at five in the morning to get at least another hour in. And mm-hmm. and him and his brother, they went through numerous, numerous drafts, had his dad uh, go through it too. Um, and he, he said there was a lot of people who wanted, um, they wanted them to, even people who, who were actors, wanted them to to be more edgy and and even maybe a little vulgar and he really pushed back against that and said that he's glad that he did that he's glad that he really pushed back against it because he wanted it to be the 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 kind of thing he said i wanted to label myself and he wanted to to label himself as a writer and director who embraces family and he wanted it to be something that you know the kids would be able to watch and that I had I had no reservations at all. In fact, it's funny because there is a scene that it could have gone a little raunchier, you know, like where because there's that love dynamic to this, you know, that the main character, this guy by the name of Voss, that's Devin McGinn, um, he's he's kind of being pursued by Marsha. Uh, that's the guy Jack. that looks like a the guy that looks like a stoned Ryan Gosling. He does look like a stoned Ryan. <laughs> he looks blown out a lot. Like he looks just really blown, you know. Yeah. But Marsha's the girl that likes him. She's the one that that showed the printout of the guy that she's dating on uh, <laughs> online. <laughs> and uh, that, that's Jacqueline Hales. And I I liked her personally. I liked her a lot in the film. But um, uh, you know, <laughs> hang on. Yeah. Speaking of that guy that was the. Tarnak Stormbringer or whatever his yeah, name was. I yeah, can't yeah, remember yeah. what his name was. Uh, <laughs> I did laugh out loud too when she was telling him online that she can't see him like that anymore because she's in love with somebody else. Yeah. And then he, <laughs> he stood there in those those little winged drag those little winged demons or whatever uh, yeah. were attacking him. They kept swarming and then he just died like that. And she's that crying. Was funny. And she's crying yeah. like she's like, oh, no, she's like, please answer me. And he's just standing there silent, you know, as these things. And there's more and more come around yeah. him. And then he's on the ground. He's like, I would like to be alone kind of thing. Yeah. You know, but but there's a scene where she, um, you know, she's trying she's trying to hook up with Voss. She's in love with him and he is aloof to the whole thing. And she's trying to trying to hit on him. And the friend, the kissy kiss friend, she goes to her because um she's not very good with men and she feels like that one girl, if anybody's good with men, it's the one that has the boyfriend and they're always kissing and stuff. So she goes to her and says, look, you know, I have feelings. What can I do? And she goes, well, you do what I tell you, you know, you, you, you do this. So she goes ahead and she does it and she's dancing. They're all around this fire. Okay. All these LARPers and stuff. It's nighttime. They're kind of resting for the evening and stuff. And they got a fire out there. 
and uh, they um, uh, there's a guy playing the the flute, and she comes out, and she's dressed beautifully in this real flowing linen uh, gown, you know, very pretty. Uh, in fact, I like her dresses a lot throughout the film. Um, but and maybe the, it might be the only outfit that took a decent amount of money to make. <laughs> I feel like the rest of them could have been the clothes that they had in their homes that they just figured out, and it, for the budget it was super low budget, you know. But um, she she's dancing. And she's the seductress. She's trying to be the seductress. And I could imagine that going a little bit raunchier than it did. You know, other directors may have gone that route. With him, he did something I thought that was clever. And that is that he had the dress. He, she was still wearing the dress. But she wore a a flesh tone bra on the outside of the dress that made it look almost like those those old Greek, like almost like Spartan dresses that you have where their breasts the yeah. women you know are hanging out and stuff but yet it's elegant and it looks beautiful but it's that cutout where that's their breasts are hanging out there and that it makes it almost look like that a little bit but then you're like wait a second she's got a bra on the outside of her on the outside of her dress and so even the part that was was wooing and kind of the, the boys were going ooh, you know and they're wiping their sweat off their brow because it was like oh baby kind of thing um even that didn't get bad and when there was a, a belly dancer, right? She was a what was succubus, and she she realizes what's going on, and she jumps up, and that could have gotten even worse. I mean, you could have really had something crazy with that, and she ends up dancing in a way that is completely ridiculous. I mean, her dance moves are the worst, and you know, it, even doing kind of the the bonobo chimpanzee hands over the head kind of motion, you know, and pointing down like at the ground and doing these weird gyrations and stuff. Not not an attractive dancing style at all, <laughs> you know, kind of harkening back to our to our great ape ancestors. And so it's like it was just but it, it said something to me that I said, even the one scene that I could have imagined that they would have gone. A, a lot of modern directors would have made it more scandalous that I'm really grateful that I could very comfortably watch that with my children. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I've got this thing about I can look at someone's face. And, um, like I can look at a, uh, like a girl with no makeup on and, and, um, whereas somebody might not be able to see a, the beauty behind it. Um, I can tell that, uh, that because of the features that they have just how pretty they might look, uh, with makeup on or something where mm -hmm. someone else might not kind of see that they can't see that until all of the makeup is piled on. And I also have this thing where I recognize certain features in other people um, that make them look like other people. So if, if somebody has an actor's nose or something, and I, and I, I can see even even the, if the rest of their body looks nothing like this actor or whatever, I can see that. And I try to point it out to my wife sometimes when we're watching someone's like, hey, doesn't it look like so-and-so? And, -so? and she, she just doesn't see it. So that being said, I, I thought that the the big guy I can't with Clancy I think was his name yeah 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 if Kurt Russell gained I don't know 150 <laughs> pounds he would look just <laughs> like that if he had that hair uh, that 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 kid looked uh, a lot like Kurt Russell you, you have to you have to look at the thing yeah people have to see it yes. I thought I thought one thing that was interesting about the film. Um, there was a question that was asked 
and I wish I, I wish I, I need to find out, man, I need to go back and see the interview to find out who was interviewing because I, I need to give him credit. But the, the interviewer said, how are you able to walk the fine line of making fun of a culture while also showing a great affection for that culture? And one thing that they, they mentioned, first of all, was that uh, the interest wasn't so much in the games. In fact, they, they spent eight months. The writers joined a guild for eight months um, in, in the lead up to this. But they weren't so much interested in the technicalities of the games, which is something that you brought up. It was quite obvious because they were talking about, was it a renegade or what was it? What was it? He called him a rogue and it was a rogue. rogue. Yeah. Yeah, So he's not, not he's not a rogue. Okay. And so, so he wasn't very, he wasn't very good about a detail. Okay. But he said he was more interested in the gamers themselves. And when asked about how do you, how do you poke fun at a culture like this? while also showing affection for it. And he says, I think you have to do that by showing their pain. And he mm. said, because the story, you know, if, if you're just showing them being silly, but if you show them as people where they said they don't feel that they are meant for this world, that they feel like losers, they feel um, like they're not very special, that, that some of those are, are things that are common, right? And some of those are unique to people who are not unique to them, but especially... Uh, significant for people who find their home in a kind of escapism, uh, a kind of escapism that doesn't just say, I want to get away for a minute, but says, I want to be that. I wish that was real. And I would like to even pretend that that's real and just live that for a moment. And I know the power of that. Okay. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've watched, I've watched, there's a girl and you know, her, her parents listened to the show, a good friend of my daughter. And, you know, she was a girl, man, bullied and stuff, you know, at school, it went through really tough times. And she went to the medieval festival with us. And when she went there, she was so happy while she was there because people were calling her milady and stuff like that because she was the princess's best friend Mm -hmm. and they would come and they would bow before her and stuff, just like they would for my daughter. And, and she felt so special and so significant that I, and I, so I saw that, I mean, cause I see her when she's not there and I saw what that did. So I'm like, I'm, I'm really, I thought that was a cool thing for them to say. And I think that for all the faults in the film, and as much as I like it, I have to admit, it's not a perfect film, Jet. <laughs> it's close. It's maybe a 4.9999. No, but it, not really. But it's uh, But I felt that for all the possible criticisms that could be leveled against, I thought that that was something like the adult or like the, the fact that it was made with kids in mind and stuff like that and to be family friendly, that the empathy factor to show that it's really trying to make these goofy but also real people that have real concerns that are common in a community of gamers and guilds, guildsmen and guildswomen. That's kind of touching. Um, yeah, because it, it, it almost makes you, well, like I said, it almost makes you feel bad for making, you know, poking fun. But like I said earlier, um, you know, I don't fault them for doing that. I mean, it's just not my thing, but mm-hmm. I can't help but, kind of chuckle you know when we're watching that documentary and dude's going lightning bolt lightning bolt lightning bolt you know it's it's i'm sorry but it's funny 
but I also think it's great that they're yeah. doing that and that they're passionate about that. But that by the way, said, that yeah. by the way, real quickly, that interview was done by Theology of Games. It doesn't say it might just be the the person who's who's running that. They have a podcast apparently. Um, mm-hmm. It's the first time I've ever gone there, so I don't really know much about it. But it's a special interview with Unicorn City director Brian Leffler. And so, yeah, Theology of Games at theologyofgames.com. And uh, people should go and check that out. Okay, so you're, um, I guess, I guess your, your, your final thoughts on the, on the film and your rating. My final, my, my final thoughts. Um, you know, my final thoughts are this will not be the last time I see it. I, I have children young enough that I'm quite confident, you know, we've got, we've got our little Lucian Ignatius, little Louie. And so, you know, he's, he's um, almost one and a half. So he's going to watch it. I'm confident. And then we got another one in the old, in the old pepper pot, man. So in the, in the cooker and that, that bugger is going to come out in September. And so I'm confident that little dude's going to want to watch it too. So I'm confident that I'll end up seeing it again. And I know that I'll enjoy it again. And I know that I will, you know, it, it, to be honest, and I know you're going to laugh, man, because you're, you definitely don't agree with me on this, but I, I choked up like twice and it, it was over the love part, in fact, and I don't, I don't choke up and do, you know, I, I wasn't like, you know, you know, blubbery or nothing, but, uh, but it just kind of was like, man, that's really, that's really moving. Uh, like the scene where, where uh, Voss is really upset and he swings at, at Shadowhawk, right? And he, he swings at him and he Shadowhawk dodges and he gets and he swings and he goes too fast and swings around, missing him, and it ends up hitting Marsha in the face. Mm-hmm. And he didn't mean to. And it's a really, you know, because she's really a, a self-sacrificing person. She j- yeah. loves this dude, right? And in fact, I kind of think she's in some ways, it's almost her story. It's kind of like the dad on uh Mary Poppins, that it's really about the dad, you know. Um you know, or or another movie that we're going to talk about <laughs> maybe next week that is about a character in the film that I did not, my first time watching through, would, would have never thought that that was kind of the main, the person that it's really, then goal is kind of that person. But uh, but I just, I, I thought that it was, I thought it was a great love story. I felt that it did a really, a really surprisingly good job of describing, um, human interaction, love, how the things that boys and girls do. I think it's kind of like going back and reading Mark Twain stuff, you know, like Tom Sawyer. I think Tom Sawyer is really good at that. And I think that this, in a way that's funny and in a way that uses characters and, and everything that you wouldn't normally think of in that way, but it's, I think it's brilliant, even from a Evo psych context. And so I would give the story overall for me, for me in my house, we give it a 4.5 or 4.6. Wow. wow. Well, I, I encourage people to watch it. And yeah. I and and I very much enjoy it. And I liked the music. I felt that for the most part, I felt that the music went along with the, the tone and the feel of it. And that's actually something that I normally don't think as much about, but you've kind of you've actually rubbed off on me in that way. And uh so yeah, I, that's that's how I'd rate it. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lay it on thick, man. Yeah. 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 Okay. First of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna be completely transparent here. <laughs> I I um 
out, outside of, I'm not an easy crier just in, in life in general, you know, dealing with stuff with life stuff, whatever. I'm, I, I don't cry easily. Um, I don't cry when I'm reading books. I, they just don't get me there. There's something about the visual medium, movies and TV, that um, I connect deeply on, on an emotional level. And I don't have to be that invested. I don't have to watch a two or three hour movie and then come to the end and then finally tear up. It can be a really quick scene. And I, I've talked to, to before about being like a hyper em, empath and movies bring that out in me. And when you said that you choked up, uh, I, I, I have to admit that there was a scene in the movie, in this stupid movie that <laughs> where I, I choked up a little bit. And what's, what's weird is that it was such a predictable scene but it didn't really seem to matter. And it was when the guy went to go back and uh, get the you know job, his second interview or whatever, just to, to, and, and he was flipping through that notebook with all the Polaroids yeah. of all the characters. And I was like, oh, geez, he's going to flip to the chick, yeah. and then he's going to stare at it, and then we're going to see yeah. his face and the music, and you know, we're going to know that he's thinking about her, and he's finally realizing how much he cares for her. Even though that's exactly how it went down, yeah. as soon as he flipped the page and they showed her picture of her, I did choke up because I knew, I, I think I get teary-eyed more when things turn out uh, good. I, I think my cries, if you will, are more like happy cries, kind of, usually when I'm... And so, um, you know, when I see couples get together at the end of a film, a romantic comedy or whatever, it does hit me. And for some reason, that very predictable scene, seeing the Polaroid of her, yeah, kind of choked me up a little bit. And um, I did think it was cool that he told her not only did he not take the job, but he didn't even mention that he had gotten the job. Right. He didn't, he wasn't like, this is how much I like you. Mm-hmm. He was just, um, he's like, no, I didn't get it. He bit the bullet. Man. And that being said, <laughs> uh, I did not like the movie. <laughs> um, I, I, I walked away going, well, that was a two for me. I, I walked away saying that it, 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 for me, it got, it was bad at the beginning and then it got better and it had some scenes, like I said, where I did laugh out loud at least three times where I laughed out loud. Um, but the ending was for me was really bad because everything was wrapped up in this ridiculously unrealistic manner. You know, like the judge is like, I'm going to give you 800, you know, 800 hours of community service to do what you want to do if I could be king. And and then the cops were just way too silly for me. And everything just tied up together so perfectly. Yeah. And I know that it was that kind of a movie. And I I, I did mention to you earlier when we talked very briefly about it that I felt like it was more of a, a kid's movie. I was going to rate it a two. And, you know, I, I, I could go up to, I don't know, maybe like a 2.8 after, you know, we've talked about it. I, I, I do appreciate what you appreciate about it, and I, and I see those things. But in, unless you're under the age of twelve and that you're into LARPing, I just to me that's the ideal audience. It's yeah. not 
it just wasn't for me. Well, and look, that's why I can, I can grant that, but at the same time, you know, it's just a personal thing. I'm actually okay with movies like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, yeah. like some, some people aren't, you know, and, and I like, look, man, I'm a tragedian, right? I'm almost Dionysian in my, in my tragedy. And yet at the mm. same time, I'm like, yeah, you know, every once in a while, man, it maybe offset the deep and the dark by this kind of, you know, fluff and stuff, sugary and sweet, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, silly and predictable stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I think that fans of LARPing and period would probably enjoy it. And I'm not saying that anybody above the age of 12 is going to hate it. I just feel like that's probably the target audience. But yeah, I just for me personally, it wasn't it wasn't for me. I will not, I'll not be watching it again. <laughs> yeah. So, OK, so there's that movie. Yep. But we we watched two of them. Yes. Right. So we watched we watched a second movie. Um, <laughs> and I, th- these were both mine. Like I, now I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so we, we picked the, these amazing and epic and notable things leading up to this. Like every single movie is awesome and, and notable of in some way or another, you know, almost like, uh, kind of a genre standard almost in some ways. Um, and, and, um, you know, it, may, maybe, no, this isn't one of those. <laughs> The movie The Visitor. Uh, it's a what, what do they call that man? A psychotronic film. Yeah, a psychedelic psychotronic space journey with battle between good and evil using kids as bait. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh it, man! It, it was directed by is it G I U L I O Paradisi? But he went he went by the uh, the pseudonym Michael Paradise, Michael J Paradise. <laughs> All of those writers had uh, there's because there's four writers too involved that were with the yeah. screenplay, and yeah. uh, they all had like closely resembling Americanized pseudonyms. The film is built around the ridiculous framing device featuring a Christ-like figure, which is Franco Nero, uh, who summons an interstellar prophet, who's John Houston, to stop a young girl by the name of Paige Connor, the real real woman, and her mother Joanna Nail from spreading the literal and figurative seed of the evil unseen sateen. So it was a, a very bizarre thing where you, you've got, you've got one character's name is Yahweh. The Jesus character, by the way, this kind of blonde haired, looks like a, surfer almost like a bl- Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Surfer Jesus, hip, hippie surfer Jesus guy. And he's surrounded mm-hmm. by all these, these uh, kids with shaved heads, you know, uh, they look like Hari Hari Krishna people, you know. <laughs> so, so they they, yeah. they it's kind of the way they the feel of it, or some kind of Tibetan monk or something. And you've got this Yahweh figure, right? At the very beginning, it's it, in fact it's a beautiful the the uh, effects and stuff. I, I I was interested to see like how do they get this? Where the clouds come rolling in at the beginning, and so you got this character looking out. He looks a little bit like Obi Wan Kenobi, a little bit. And he's looking out into the distance and there's a sun and you see these clouds swirl and kind of roll in. And then somebody comes up out of the sun and it's very, very, uh, the the person looks very tall and is wearing what appears to be kind of like a burqa, you know, like the full blown ones with the the little uh, grill in the front. You got to look through and everything. I mean, it's completely covered. 
but then it starts snowing real badly and the wind is blowing like crazy. And then the, the, the cloak starts to come off of the woman and come to find out it's not a woman. It's a, it's a young girl. And then it blows off and it's this, this little girl and she's covered in this crazy snow and stuff, staring down Obi-Wan and then starts walking slowly backward. Turns out Obi-Wan is Yahweh, right? That's, that's the guy. And she's walking backward and then she disappears and she's gone. And that's when Yahweh shows up and lets Jesus know it's happened again. Uh, This time she's this young girl named Katie and she's eight years old. And that's the beginning. And and apparently it's the, what it is. And Jesus explains it at the beginning, right? (laughs) He's a Jesus guy. Uh, And they never call him Jesus, but that's basically what he is. Um, But he's, he's telling the story and, and how does it go, man? Isn't it that uh, Satine was a, a prisoner on a spaceship and he'd snuck out somehow out of the back of this spaceship and he was spreading the wickedness in the galaxy. I think I thought that he had had offspring. So even though he was gone, the offspring are what they need to, you know, keep under control now. And it's kind of weird because it harkens to the, the proto evangelium, which is the, the, the part in the Bible at the beginning of the Bible where, uh, the the curse on the devil and, and that God tells the devil that uh, there will be enmity between your seed and the woman and that uh, he or she, depends on translation, will will crush your head and you will bruise his or her heel. And so the idea is that there, the, the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, that those two are rival groups. And one of those, the seed of the devil is what is going to bring the wickedness and the seed of uh, the woman, the covenantal woman, uh, is going to bring the good, and those would be the covenant children, which ultimately would be Jesus. And so you can see this kind of symbolism and everything at play, but just sci-fied out. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I didn't see a lot of the uh, spiritual overtones as far as like the, the Trinity goes, but... Um, the more you talked about it, uh, even Yahweh, I mean, I don't know if they, that's not even trying to hide it. I mean, even a lot of, I think even a lot of, uh, Christians don't even know, or maybe not a lot, but, um, maybe your average Christian doesn't, isn't familiar with the term Yahweh. It's called the Tetragrammaton. And, uh, when they said Satin, I heard Zatin, I even spelt it out, Z-A-T-E-E-N, phonetically, because I thought that. But then as you started talking about that, and I'm like, Satan, Satan, okay. Yeah. I was just going to say my, my initial like thought, like, you know, within the first 10 minutes, like, wh- what kind of movie, movie is this? Um, I was excited because uh, I love movies um, that take place in the 70s. Um, I, I, they have... They just make me feel all warm and fuzzy, man. You know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and so... I get nostalgic and the whole movie had this kind of um, they did something a lot in the seventies, particularly if a woman was on the screen where they had this um, kind of hazy filter over it. The whole movie was like that, which reeked of seventies right there. But like I said, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. like if you watch some, some old episodes of anything where there's a, you know, like in the 60s and 70s, like I think Star Trek did it too, where there's a beautiful woman in it, the scenes that they are in are like hazy, like have a filter on them. Yeah. And I, my my biological father was uh, a photographer 
and he used to um, take pictures like that of of women clothed in and not clothed, and oh. and to get that effect, just put Vaseline on the vent on the lens. Really, and it would just yeah, it would give this beautiful hazy effect. I don't know if that's what they used then. I mean, professional fi- photographers used that back then. You know, they carried yeah. Vaseline thing and uh, i don't know that that's what they did you know I, I would assume that if you know this big movie company has something else that they're using but i i did notice that everything had that kind of like dreamy i just woke up crap is in my eyes kind of look yeah. and the you know they're in this room which is essentially a greenhouse but for some reason a chandelier hanging from the ceiling which i thought right. was <laughs> yeah it's Beautiful. got glass all the way around and then it's got and there's chandeliers all over the place yeah you know and, and, and yeah glass walls glass ceiling <clears throat> beautiful plants all over looked like a place that uh you would love to hang out in man mm-hmm. and so instantly i was like okay i'm i'm gonna have fun with this whether it's a good movie or not i'm gonna enjoy this but yeah. then <laughs> the music kicked in oh no yeah you didn't wow. like the music you didn't like that um or did you did, or did you just think it wasn't fitting in some places it, like how do you it absolutely was not fitting at all no. ever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> no never the music was yeah. hilarious oh, yeah. i don't know i don't know how familiar you are with um in the late seventies and very early eighties and, and mid seventies and, and probably even early, early seventies. Uh, you know, we only hold, had so many channels. And so we were at the mercy of like Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday night, like movie presentations. And they were special moments. You know, you were at the mercy of whatever that was going to be aired and you learn to a- appreciate it didn't sometimes unless you bought a tv guide you didn't know it was coming on so you you know get the popcorn going and then come you know eight o'clock then this elaborate orchestrated music that was meant to just really bring you in and get you excited about this feature presentation would start and it would have all these just rainbow of colors of glittering lights and this giant font that just you know screamed hollywood and it would say like you know the Saturday night movie presentation with all these stars and lights and flashing. That music in the movie was exactly like that. Like every movie, special movie presentation, and it just it took me back, and it was so <laughs> hilarious yeah. because it was used in like I think the first instance they used it was on John Huston. And the second was when he popped up again. And it reminded me of like Halloween where you'd see Michael Myers and it would be like, like that. Right. Except for, so this would do that and it would have this dramatic effect, but it would go on for another 60 seconds. Right. It's just ridiculous music. And they, so, yeah, they so played that. that. Yeah. They, they repeated that a lot, almost like it was thematic, yeah. um, yes. you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I but I gotta say, man, I actually liked the music. I didn't. I agree with you that it didn't fit. Although I would say I think that it fits sometimes, like during certain racing around scenes that were more intense. But people should go judge for themselves. There's you can find the entire soundtrack. It's the Visitor 
uh, Stridulum, S-T-R-I-D-U-L-U-M, I believe it's Stridulum, 1979 original motion picture soundtrack by Franco Michaelizzi, Michaelizzi, um, M-I-C-A-L-I-Z-Z-I, and it's, I'll tell you, man, I've been, I've been bumping that jam dude in the background as I've been doing work. I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, read a bunch of these weird things online about, about the, uh, the film and I'll just listen to this music. And it was funny. The only time I turned it off was when I watched this, this video, I was looking up anything to do with the visitor and esoteric or the visitor and, uh, occult and stuff like that. Any kind of keyword. And this one came up, and it was Illuminati and the Bible in the Visitor movie. And I'm like, oh, I definitely need to see this video. <laughs> like, <laughs> illuminate, confirm. And so I need to definitely find out uh, who this is. And it was this guy named Ken Ami, A-M-M-I. Uh, he, he's over on YouTube, uh, truefreethinker.com. He's, and it was so crazy because this dude, this Ken Ami guy, I had seen a video by him a while back that blew my mind about... Uh, the Nephilim and giants and all the references that had ever been done to these, these, the idea of these individuals uh, in, in, in Bible passages that are referred to as giants. Okay. Um, Who came down and and bred with the women, you know, the, the, the ladies of the men, right. Of humankind. And there's all these theories about it, but, but his specific video with a guy named Jay Dyer from Jay's analysis, who also does movie reviews it blew my mind. So when I saw him, I'm like, oh, well, now I definitely have to see it. And so I, <laughs> I watched it. And it's the only time, though, that I turned the music off. And and sadly, did I kind of regretted it because I watched it and I thought, yeah, you know, it doesn't actually have a lot of him in it. It's just a bunch of words. He shows, like, different parts and scenes and stuff and says, here's where it's kind of occultic and everything. But it wasn't too... It wasn't too mind-blowing, man. So it's kind of bummed out. Not to, not to dog him, obviously. I've said some nice things about him. Uh, you know, but... So the music, the the occultism, the references in the Bible, and then the, um, I believe that it's, that they're doves taking on the evil, and these white doves come in and save the day, and as they're attacking this young girl, they, they become darkened, and to the point where they're almost like black, right? Oh, they're city pigeons, man. At the yeah, end. Yeah, you know, they were city pigeons. Yeah. But you've got one in particular, right? One that, uh, the one that snaps a cord, right? That it, toward the end, that that bus in there and it's it's flying around and it ends up snapping it. That one was white, so far as I could tell. And it was my my right away. I thought, okay, that's like the Holy Ghost, right? Now you've got the Trinity involved in this, purging the mm-hmm. evil, and then you have all these other, you know, all these other birds come in. And, and, you know, take on the wickedness of this. And the bird that was white that eventually turned black. And that was maybe the most stunning effect of the entire film was, was <laughs> the bird. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Dude. Yeah. It like a, uh, it turned like metal or plastic or something. And all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> a beak that shot out. And probe the guy in the neck. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But you know, I thought I, I honestly felt that that was the one time in the film where the effect wasn't that impressive. And I actually felt that if you know, I felt that the movie was actually pretty good on some things. They were saying that the guy 
who made it. They were saying that the guy, the director that, that did TV and stuff over in Italy, that he's really, really good at doing scenes with camera, really uh, the tracking shots. Let me see here. Among other characteristics, he has a penchant for uh, technically challenging uh, tracking shots and tricky camera moves. And I felt that that was kind of true throughout that. I felt that the way that the background would would kind of appear at times and you would have multiple layers, like you'd have a building that you're, you're kind of looking up at a, a building and then there's another building behind it. And as as it almost looks like that building's coming dauntingly towards you, it was almost intimidating to see as weird it, that he was able to somehow do that. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a neat, it's a, it's a neat shot. It's a, it's a tricky camera move that he was able to do mm. some of the moves with the, the skating sequence, which by the way, the, the girl, the main girl, um, what is her name? Katie, Katie, or no, no, no. Yeah. Katie. That was uh page Connor. I heard an mm. interview by her. Cause we looked her up, man. You found her, you found her on Facebook. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she's got what? What is her, her business? She got like a eyelash place, doesn't she? Eyelash place. Yeah, she doesn't really. Uh, mm. Yeah, doesn't act or anything like that, and doesn't doesn't really uh, have much to do with that. She's just a beautiful woman who hangs out and owns this little business. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy too because honestly, I felt she did pretty good, all things considered. She's got some some weird stories, man. She said like Shelley Winters, for example, the actress Shelley Winters. She's the maid in, in this film, real, real weird character. Um, but that yeah. she literally, she said that she was literally hitting her and that she even admitted that she loved scenes where she could hit kids. And the mom, <laughs> she said the mom was getting mad. She, what? She said, yes. And she goes, she said, she said she hated working with Shelly Winters. She hated it. She would, she didn't never wanted to go. She never went into her, her uh, dressing room. Um, she didn't even like being in any scenes with her at all because she would always like hit her. <clears throat> and it, it, when she said that the mom, she said her mom was never very protective before this movie, but that there was Shelly Winters really changed her. And that the mom finally put her foot down and said, look, you can't, you need to stop. And it was apparently like tense. So it was a real thing. Like it wasn't a joke, <laughs> you know, I mean, Dang, it, and it was some weirdness with that. And then there was the guy, who's the guy, the guy, I should know his name, the guy I believe from Jaws. No, 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 not, not Jaws, I'm so sorry, not Jaws, Alien and Predator. Oh, Lance Henriksen, of course. Yes, 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 yes. I can't believe I said Jaws. Yeah, he's in um, a bunch of uh, genre films. Yeah, a whole bunch of these. He, I, I believe he was one of the guys in one of these interviews that I was listening to, and when they asked him about, I don't know if they, if, if they were really clear that this movie was what they were going to ask him about. But when they said, so the visitor, he, his response was, oh, like this. And he, <laughs> he was not happy. And he said that, that he said uh, it was it was a terrible experience. And that he said that uh, what was the phrase they were showing. Scene, he said they were the director was throwing scenes at the wall and hoping that they would stick and that he was banking on actors drawing the crowd. But he said that he went to a, a viewing of it with a friend. And he was watching it and thinking he was so ashamed of it. And he said, this dude stood up in the back and he goes, mother effer, I want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was so mad about it. It's funny because we were talking, you and I and, and your wife, you know, she, uh, she does the voice. And we I don't think we've ever said thank you 
on the show about that. But your wife does the voice at the intro, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, a big a, a big round of applause for a really amazing lady. You you're blessed to have amazing wife. I so am I. very blessed. Yes. And uh, but she she was talking about a scene at the end because it, it it goes a little bit uh, exorcist esque right at the end you know you got this kind of monster scene you know with the little girl and stuff yeah and, yeah. and it's, there's a scene where she's dragging her mom's body up these stairs and there's no way that that little girl was able to do that like in real life and it, and your wife said man was it like a little person and we laughed about it and we're like no you know it's not you know it's not a little person well they asked they asked uh uh katie they asked her in this interview, Paige Connor. What, they said, "Was that you?" Or and she goes, "No, that was a little person." <laughs> she used really? Exact, she used that exact phrase. She said, "It's a little person." And I said, <laughs> "So I immediately I thought of your wife, man." And I said, "You got to tell her, man. She was that. She knew it. She was right." Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah I because the body proportion didn't. Uh, but I was like, whoever I was trying to figure out how they did that. Either a a, a very strong person, or they had reconstructed the set so that it was flat but made to look like it was still the same stairs going up and that they were just pulling them you know instead of up just pulling them straight across the um yeah you know yeah. you know we were talking about the being like an italian film i've seen most of the italian films i've seen are uh all horror stuff like argento and fulci and this has this definitely does not feel like uh, any of those. It doesn't feel like an Italian film that I've seen. And I, you know, but knowing that, and hearing that ridiculous music and some of the things that they, <laughs> some of the things that they used, I feel like yeah, that music to me was kind of like if you see some kind of like, uh, uh, you know, no no offense to the, to the Japanese, but when you see like a Japanese thing where it's got a tagline that is supposed, supposed to really draw you in, like the Americans, and it'll be like, super happy fun time juice, or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you'll have all, all these adjectives. And, you know, that's what the music kind of felt like to me. It was like, this is, this, this is what, you know, they, they've got going on over there. Let's have this in all of our dramatic moments and really pull the audience in, like they do on the Saturday night movie feature. And... <laughs> I feel like they borrowed and, and maybe even wrote, tried to ride on the uh, coattail or, or, or set success of some of the movies that had come out in that uh, around that same time. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, The Omen came out before that hugely popular film, um, which was, you know, it was it, it was kind of similar, but. Damien Omen in The Omen was very, it was more subtle. He wasn't a loud mouth. He was just kind of there, this mm -hmm. ominous little boy who did cause, you know, some some chaos and some death. And uh, much like this girl, but she was kind of like more like this bad seed figure, like the, from the film Bad Seed. She's like an evil punky Brewster. Yes, for sure. Yeah, And, and yeah. she... But the movie Carrie, too, because the visitor started to become more like the, you know, you start to find out that this girl has, like, telekinetic powers. Mm -hmm. She's able to make things move and things like that and cause cause uh, people harm through that, which is, which is what Carrie ended up doing. And Carrie came before that, too. And you've got this female figure. So you've got a child figure who's like this demon child. And then you've got 
carry with the tele- telekinetic powers. And then, but also there were scenes that dealt with very bright lighting. There was a couple scenes where uh, a semi came up behind them and then passed, but then another yeah. truck came came up that was like a spaceship kind of thing with a ramp. There was another scene too where it was just like this this bright light coming over kind of like a a, a hill. And all of that, I'm convinced, was uh, taken right out of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, of the Third Kind, which came out two years before uh, the Visitor. Mm-hmm. All the, that lighting stuff. Um, so I think that it, in all of those movies were really successful. The Omen, Carrie, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They were, you know, they were big uh, hits at the time. And I, this being an Italian film, I, I feel like it almost feels like they took this, you know, Trinity approach and they're like, well, how can we, you know, wrap this up into a, you know, let's take yeah. a little from here, a little from here. There was even a little bit of uh, another movie that was, I, I don't think it was popular at the time. It's, it's one of my favorite movies called the uh, brood by David Cronenberg. Uh, mm-hmm. And that with some uh, creepy little kids doing uh, very evil things too. And that came out in the, uh, 78 77 something like that so i think it was just like uh yeah i think it was kind of borrowing from a lot of these different things i thought that one thing and maybe 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 there's examples of this too right but you know ever since you got me on this whole thing with with david lynch i'm I'm watching you know like i i mentioned to uh josh mallerman in our last episode talking about this is the episode eight season three of twin peaks and how mm-hmm. it's so bizarre. And there's things in there that's like, what in the heck is this? You know, like, what is this about? And you see that even in the first episode or the first couple of season three, these really just bizarre uh, things that take the red room, right. And make that, you know, this, this whole nother level of crazy. Um, and I felt like the scene, there were scenes in, in this movie that way, the opening scene where there's the the snow and stuff mm-hmm. um, uh, and all that. I thought that was a real surreal kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. the, the scene at the end where Yahweh is basically controlling the stars and he's yeah. on this runway. That, it's on top of a building and it, it, there's a lot that goes on that's never explained. And that to me, is, Lynch does that all the time. He has yeah. stuff thrown in there that just, you know, like, like in this movie, um, there are when when Yahweh shows up because he has to get Katie. He needs to stop the evil from spreading, and she's the evil. So he needs to make sure that she gets back. Um, and just in case anyone does want to watch it, I we, we won't say what happens or if that happens and how that may play into other things in the movie. Um, but he he comes to the Earth and he goes atop this building in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's by himself, and it looks like there's a runway of lights. And the runway is facing a city, and, and you can see the, the haze of the, the glow of the town, the light pollution far away, um, which is never explained, by the way. Nobody knows what, what city is that because um, uh, they're, they're in Atlanta. So what city is off in the distance far away that's lit up like that? And so mm-hmm. – but he's looking, and it, it looks as though the runway, if we can call it that, is, is lighting up in all different colors. And then he raises his hands in the air kind of like Moses, right, from the Ten Commandments. Raises yeah. hands up blah, in the sky, and then it vanishes. The, the 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 color that's flickering on the the runway, and then 
the scene leaves and then later it comes back and it's him again. And he's staring down the stars. Like he's, he looks real menacingly almost at the stars. Like something's going on. He's communicating with them and they start moving around and the scene goes back and forth between him and these stars that are moving. And then they, they line up and they're making all these weird movements and stuff. And it lasts for a good three to five minutes. I mean, it's not a short scene at all. And it's got this music and it, weird angles that, as it approaches him from kind of a, a tilted angle. And, uh, but it never explains it. There, it, there's nothing. It never, it never says, and that's what this was about. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I could put my thinking cap on, you know, uh, for maybe years of my life and never get to the answer. I don't think there is an answer. I think it's just, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's Lynch esque in that way, or Lynch is this guy esque in that way that some stuff just simply, it may not make sense. Maybe it's an isolated thing. Um, and, but it doesn't work. I don't think as well in this film. Um, I like it in Lynch's films. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, it leaves me wanting more and saying, I want to, I want to follow up season, even though I know that the follow up season is going to leave me with the same bazillion questions left unanswered and storylines left untold, uh, unfinished. Um, whereas with this one, the Yahweh situation, I, I just, I said it, it was kind of cool, but at the same time, it would have been better if it would have made a little bit of sense as to what it was about. <laughs> I have a, I have a theory about that scene uh, and why it was used. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Star Trek, the motion picture is the first Star Trek movie that they yeah. made. Yeah. Well, there are some really, really lengthy scenes of, you know, they had the, the Star Trek series in the late sixties and then they didn't have anything. And then they had the motion picture and between that, that lapse there, uh, technology in special effects um, and budget, uh, you know, you know, got way up there. I mean, they got a they got a bigger budget, um, so that they could do stuff that they normally maybe wouldn't been able to do in the '60s. But also, um, the advancement of the technology of that they were able to use for special effects uh, was fairly new. So. The things that that they were that were missing from the original show, they were finally able to show in the motion picture. And as a result, there are some uh, extremely lengthy scenes in Star Trek where we're like we're talking minutes long, where it's showing like uh, one of the little spaceships going to another ship, but it's it's showing this really slow like ride, and and I'm I, I'm I'm talking like two three minutes. And that's all you're watching is this thing. And I feel like uh, I have my theory on that is the same that I have with this, that we that people at the time were supposed to be, you know, can you believe these effects and that people were so blown away (laughs) by these new, you know, newfangled effects that 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 Hollywood can do now that um, that it would they thought it would be entertaining for the audience to be like, you know, wow, look at look at how advanced we are. Look at what they can do now with uh, these visual special effects. Um, that's the only thing I can make sense yeah. out of that because that scene in The Visitor was just far too long. Yeah, yeah, just, way too long. Make any sense? And this guy wasn't David Lynch. He wasn't trying to be, <laughs> you know, 
I just feel like it's he like wasn't David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going to uh, you know when you first go down to Axis Vision and you see the, the the fact that you can put like a swimming bowl of goldfish behind people that are there, or you can do all these crazy effects. So you do it, and some people can do it too much. Yeah, because it's the first yeah. time that they're seeing it, and they're just so amazed and. And really, you know, that's that doesn't hold up like transitions, dude. Remember when transitions like you could watch a show and we use the phrase access vision. It's public access TV. That was the name of we both are from Battle Creek, Michigan. And that was that's the name of that place is access vision. And so and we both have experiences, you know, having grown up there and been on access vision and stuff. And uh, I remember shows where they were pumping out transitions, you know, where you have the cube. You know, where it, it goes from one yeah. scene to the next and it's a cube. And it's the same scene, by the way. Like it might be uh, you, you, two guys sitting between the ferns, right? Like the yeah. <laughs> like the show. And they're sitting at a table with the blue black, uh, backdrop behind them and everything or the curtain. And it's super boring looking. And all they're like, okay, on to the next topic. And it's just got this cube spinning. And then it, yeah. it fills out the screen. And then it would do one where it like spirals and then spirals off the screen. And then five seconds later, it's parting ways kind of like a curtain you know and i'm thinking yeah. bro you know you just use three three transitions in 30 seconds you need to slow up on that you're fascinated by this i i can see someone has a new toy one more thing i want to mention that, that we haven't really talked about was at the beginning of the film uh the very first thing you see is uh, uh before anything is uh a mention of a thank you to a couple different people one of which was yeah the mayor of mm-hmm. atlanta and this is this is pure speculation. This is just a silly theory I have. I don't know what the thank you is for, but my theory was that he was an investor because uh, <laughs> they've got to have investors. He was an investor, and with a stipulation that uh, that they because usually thank yous are at the end of the, you know gratitude is at the end of a film, mm-hmm. not, not at the beginning. You want to get the person, the viewer, right into the mood, you know. And uh, this was right at the beginning. And I, I like the mayor said, maybe, you know, I'll invest in your movie under these conditions. Number one, I want my name at the beginning recognized somehow. And maybe he didn't say that. I don't know. But there was a couple of other things. Uh, one was some product placement. Uh, there's a scene where uh, the little girl, Katie, I, I guess her name is, where she went out into the city and Right behind her was uh, a giant uh, Coca-Cola display lit up with lights. And then in her house, which is a beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous house with, um, you know, it's all very open, very 70s, modern at the for the time, um, giant screen TV for the pong game and an indoor pool. And then. Right above their dinner table, they have a chandelier, but the chandelier is actually just a hanging light, uh, um, a Seven Up yeah. hanging light from the 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 beverage. So you've got two Coke products. Mm-hmm. Now, then the very very beginning of the movie is um, the an uh, in in Atlantic uh, basketball scene that takes way too long. <laughs> Uh, and it doesn't have 
it has absolutely zero to do with the rest of the movie. And so all of these things, Coca-Cola being in, in, you know, being from Atlanta, the, the, I guess it's made there, the main plant is there. And then you've got the Atlanta and, and yes, it was supposed to take place in Atlanta, but you had all of these things. I can see the mayor investing as long as they shoehorn some, some, you know, prideful kind of, uh, you know, city pride shoehorn that right in there. The the basketball game, I want to say this. Number one, it says on IMDb that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in that. And mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't recognize him. But then again, he would have been pretty young, you know, and I yeah. recognize him with his hair shaved and stuff like that, you know, when he's bald. Mm-hmm. And he always looked lighter skinned. They had a guy named Abdul, I think, that was the main guy that was like, he's really great. And I just I wasn't thinking at all like, oh, that's Kareem. Like, you know, maybe it was. Um, I, either way, it had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in it, which was pretty awesome. And there was a scene, and I got to say this, man, because some of the shots were really cool and, and just original, you know. And there was a scene where they were dribbling. Uh, the, a guy was dribbling, and he's kind of weaving his way through through the crowd. And it's almost as though the 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 camera was waist high or kind of at a sternum. But it was just a fascinating shot, and it kind of reminded me, not to make light of that, but it kind of reminded me of the 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 shot at the beginning of the TV show Alf, where Alf is like running through the house, and it's kind of if you were at his level, where he would mm-hmm. be looking around the house and stuff. And I kind of felt that that's that's the way that that was. But the fact that it was bouncing a ball in front of in front of that, and then looking up and kind of following the ball as it goes to be shot. I thought that was uh, it was it was pretty awesome, man. There were some, yeah, there were definitely some interesting shots in there, um, uh, like a uh, prepubescent girl's crotch. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, but it's true, isn't it? Isn't that yeah. true, man? I mean, that's like straight yeah. up. I it was said, unsettling. It, dude, it was. I man, as soon yeah. as I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, bro, like. What were, what were the Italians into? You know, you're right because she she's doing the. There, there's a couple scenes where they're kind of showing off her her athleticism, but that scene that you're talking about, she's she's basically stretching for gymnastics, and it shows her do some basic things like she's doing some splits and stuff. But then it's it's got a scene where she's didn't basically- didn't the whole scene open up like right on her crotch. Isn't that the whole? Isn't that how the whole scene opened up? It, it was either the very first scene or it was the second. But she's doing these positions. It's kind of like when you're doing toe touches and you're sitting down, and you're sitting down on a mat and you've got your legs spread as far as you can, and then you kind of bend down to touch your toes. Well, she's doing that, and the the camera is in front of her with her legs spread, and it's facing right at her crotch. And then she, on, with yeah. her leotard, yes. And then she and then she she gets down and she can she's very flexible and she can get all the way down to the floor and she's looking at the camera. And I just thought and I said, boy, oh boy, I, you know, <laughs> I said, who yeah. was you know what what kind of logic was going into that? You know what I mean? Like, okay, little girl, uh, we're gonna go ahead and get you down here and we're gonna go yeah. ahead and record your crotch for a second. I just. I to me, I felt that that I, I like how you said that was unsettling, and I said, well, "What was that about?" What you know? Yeah, it, you and know. she was supposed to be eight in the movie. She was at least twelve. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. in real life. But yeah. still, man. And a good you actress, know, too, by the way. I, we should say that. I felt she was. Oh, I thought she was great. Yeah. yeah. In, in fact, I kind of, as you were talking, you were talking about Omen and stuff. I was thinking about, you know, kids that I like in movies where they're creepy or they're bad guys. You know, like The Good Son um, and other movies like that where they're the bad guys. Yeah. And I thought, you know, she's actually up there for me because on the one hand, some movies like Omen wouldn't have been so good if if they had this girl sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think that it would have done good, but she was funny. And I felt yeah. like I felt like, man, I was actually surprised when I went later to IMDb to say, well, what else did she do to find out that she didn't do anything? And she's a go- she, she's gorgeous. She's a, a pretty girl who has a beautiful smile. And and when she got older, you know, she's a gorgeous woman right now. Absolutely stunning. You know, it looks like she was a, a, a cheerleader of some kind. She was. You know? She was cheerleader for the uh, uh, Atlanta football team, Falcons. Wow. Well, unsurprising. I mean, as I said, uh, just physique is just off the charts. So, as I said, a stunning smile, right? Um, real, real uh, heartthrob. So I was surprised. That she just never after that it was just no I you know and I don't it didn't sound like there was like an animus like it, it was nothing that was that was like you know I I don't I don't like it or it was bad or anything like that right. it just kind of was the way those cookies crumbled. So overall, man, what'd you think of the visitor from 1979? You know, part of me because you know I was really critical, but I also enjoyed it and I felt like. There was a there was a guy Jordan Cronk over at slantmagazine.com. He said this is grindhouse gentrification. The visitor is unique in that while it fails in most every traditional respect with regard to narrative clarity or construction, it does not fall short as either entertainment or as a piece of craft, craftsmanship. In fact, it excels at both, and as a result, it endures as one of the era's most indefinable inconceivably progressive pieces of cinematic nonsense. And I thought that's legit. Like, I agree yeah. with that. The story. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, you know, a three would be that it's entertaining for us. That That's that we were entertained. I watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say 3.5, but I will go a little bit above that because there are friends of mine that I really would say, dude, this is, this nonsense is worth your time. Right? Yeah. It, and I, not, not all my friends are going to say mother effer. I want my money back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I would say like a 3.2 and so let's give it a three point. I, I give it a 3.2. What about you, man? What do you give this thing? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What do you, what do you give this man? Um, I, I give it a solid three. I, what yeah, you just yeah. read of that review pretty much sums it up. You know, it, it's just, uh, it's it's a chaotic mess, but it's entertaining, and um, there's plenty to point and laugh at, but still appreciate uh, what they were trying to do. Um, you know, I I didn't hate the music. It, it I I do wonder if they stripped the the entire movie of that music, and they replaced it with like modern music. Uh, kind of like they did with uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari uh, a while back. You know, they replaced the music. It makes me wonder if the movie wouldn't have had a completely different tone. 
because when the music came on, it, it had the uh, the exact <laughs> opposite effect of what it was probably going for, at least for me. Yeah. You know, it was just it was like canned laughter. You know, that music music would kick on and it was just uh, that was that was my cue. It's time to laugh and <laughs> and roll my eyes. So, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I was entertained. Yeah, and yeah. and I give it a, I give it a three. I it, it's yeah. it's a movie that again, you know, I'm not gonna unless somebody's like, hey, you got anything outrageous that's from the seventies that's really off the wall, you, you know? And I'd be like, yes, I actually I do have. Yeah. I've got a perfect five for you here if you, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Dude, I actually, you know, it was funny because we always have this thing at the end where we we talk about the moral, you know. Yes. And, you know, we uh, because this was a double header, you know, I was like, man, I was like, what's the moral of these stories and stuff? And honestly, man, I was I was going through it and and I thought I read something from somebody that really to me, it, it really was the moral of this. And, and, and I think it was so good. And I said, you know, I, part of me was like, man, maybe I could like word it myself. And I said, no, 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 this is legit, man. Whitney Seibold over at WhitneyMan.wordpress.com said, if you try to sort it out, it can only lead to darkness, pain, and madness. If you sit Zen-like meditating, then the madness can be staved off. Perhaps this film is an important step on your path to enlightenment. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought it's true. If you try, if you approach this film and you're like, Oh man, I'm going to try to figure it out. And I'm going to be all like, you know, seeing exactly what's going on and read between the lines. You are going to be a very depressed person. It's, it's going to lead to a, a very terrible night for you. Maybe even a couple terrible weeks. Um, but if you just, just let it in. You know, and you say whatever is coming at me, yep. bam, 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 bam. I'm just gonna roll with it and take from it what it is. Uh, you know, kind of like Winnie the Pooh going down the river on a uh, blustery day and stuff like that on a little leaf floating around. If you do that with this movie, you'll be okay. In fact, you may you may be better for it. Yes, and and in the meantime. If any old man comes to your door saying, "Hey, I'm your new babysitter," you'll probably not let him in and have him watch your eight-year-old daughter. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! Yes, it is. <laughs> that is the moral, bro. That is it. <laughs> A thousand times, amen. And again, I say, amen. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for listening to our double feature. Make sure to, uh, you know. Like, share, subscribe, reach out to us. You can reach us at Paleo Cheese, that's cheese with a Z, at gmail.com. We've got Instagram pages, Facebook, Twitter, all that uh, trendy social media stuff that you can check out and uh, make us feel special and validate our uh, decisions that we make <laughs> in, in, in the movie reviews. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And... Again, thanks for thanks for checking out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Every person's story has something to teach us. How others view life, how obstacles are overcome, how joy is felt, how fears are faced, how love is expressed. The Matters of Faith podcast explores individual stories of people's lives and how faith plays a part. It may not be your story, but it may help shape yours. 
Matters of Faith podcast with Jay Wilburn is on Project Entertainment Network.